This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, Beyonce fans have a lot to grieve this week. Our favorite bugs to squash are into their juvenile stage, and there's been, well, a lot, but really one big thing holding up our state budget process. We're getting into it all. It's July 7th, the Friday News Roundup. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. I'm with CityCast producer Maria Carter. Hello. Hey there. And lead producer Mallory Falk. Good morning. Good morning. So as of this recording, still no Pennsylvania budget. Um, But Governor Josh Shapiro has gotten his proposal through the House. So we're halfway there. And living on a prayer? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The whole budget total is $45.5 billion, which my brain can't wrap its head around. Um, and Democrats, I guess, only agreed to it after the governor promised to line item veto his own proposal. I think this is so funny. Um, so it's a back and forth about vouchers for private schools. Yeah. Are like Republicans totally pissed about this because like this is one of their big things, right? Mallory, you spotted this this morning. Uh, I don't know if they're pissed or sad. Westmoreland County Republican Kim Ward posted this super sad Simpsons meme about how much she missed also Democrat, uh, former Governor Tom Wolf, because, quote, his word actually meant something. (laughs) Yeah, it was just images of Lisa Simpson lying in bed looking dejected. (laughs) (laughs) Like he might not have been for school vouchers, but he would have told you that, right? Like... Yeah. So Shapiro had promised Republicans the voucher program. I think it was worth $100 million. Um, but now he's pulled back on that. Um, and I guess so I guess it was a bargaining chip that he never really intended to follow through on. But he had to actually say that out loud when only Democrats had passed the budget so far. So now Republicans are like, oh, OK, chill. We see how it is. So what's the deal with these vouchers then? Like, how big is this program? Yeah. So, Megan, like you said, the program was for $100 million, and it would basically let parents use public money, state money, um, to pull their kids out of, quote, low-achieving public schools um, and put them in a private school instead. And there's a lot of proposals like that nationwide. Um, I know they picked up a lot of what I'll call emotional steam during the Trump administration. (laughs) Um, The education secretary at the time, Betsy DeVos, was a huge proponent of them, pushed them for years. I kind of thought she'd made more progress personally, um, but I was reading this really interesting NPR postmortem about her term this morning, and I did not realize that almost everything that she backed actually failed during the Trump administration. It kind of seems wild to me compared to how much people were talking about it and are still talking about it. Yeah. Um, So, you know, catch me up. I'm new to Pennsylvania. Does Pennsylvania (laughs) already have something like this or, you know, some pilot program or would this be a totally new thing here? We have aspects of school choice. That's how I'd 
phrase it. I don't know about you, Mallory. Like we have magnet schools and charter schools. Yeah. And there is actually um, there are tax break programs for corporations that help fund private school scholarships. But what was going to be different about this program is that the state money would go right into private schools instead of creating these tax breaks for people who help you know, fund these scholarships. But the why behind people care about school choice, I think, is always like super messy. Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of comes down to this argument about whether uh, you believe that public funding should be solely supporting public schools um, or whether you believe that there should be this wider array of options available, um, which means, you know, public funds are more divided up and stretched further. Yeah. I mean, I get the argument, especially as a parent now, like, I think I understood it intellectually before, like people should not have to send their kids to a consistently poor performing school district because they can't afford to move. Like, I understand that you don't want to, like, invest in your school district with your own child. Like, the stakes are too high. However, public schools are never going to thrive if we continue to siphon money and resources away from them and give them to organizations that are effectively for profit. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I absolutely understand both sides of that. Like, and I think this is the eternal debate. You know, I lived in Kansas City, so I've got two states here. I think this has been a debate in both places. And, you know, it's always the same argument in in both of those in both states, really, that, you know, that private can do it better than public schools and why put money into public schools if they're not working. And I think on the other side, you know, a lot of times there are some, I think, good arguments that private schools may not be working either and that there are some studies actually out there showing that too. Yeah, I know we've had a lot of issues with charter schools here in Pennsylvania, especially cyber charter schools where kids attend virtually by design, not by pandemic. Yeah. I mean, and that's something I'm actually wondering about this, you know, new proposed program is like what what the oversight would actually look like. Like when, back when I was an education reporter in New Orleans, there was this issue where um, families were using vouchers to attend private schools that actually performed pretty poorly. And there wasn't at that time like a clear system that families could use to determine like, you know, a private school sounds better, but is it actually doing any better than the public school that I'd be removing my child from? Um, And so I'm just, yeah, I would be curious what the plan was for this program of like, is there any system to screen out poor performing private schools? Or is it really just going on the assumption that private inherently is better and your kid is inherently going to get a better education there? Well, and there was a 2017 Brookings study that looked at um, Louisiana, Indiana and some other states and really looked at, you know, how students that went into private schools through voucher programs did. And it wasn't great. You know, they actually had lower test scores in those states, not horribly lower, but lower than comparable students that stayed in public schools. And, you know, you know, I think proponents of public schools would say that's because, you know, a lot of these schools, teachers aren't necessarily required to have like teaching licenses. They aren't, you know, they're not regulated in the same way. They're not tested. You know, there's a lot of oversight of public schools that you're not necessarily getting in the private school systems. Well, and like back to the voucher program, too. One thing that I was like looking at, like the specifics of it, it's not a lot of money. Like the vouchers, the scholarships are what they're calling them. Um, it's 2500 annually for half-day kindergarten, 5000 for full-day kindergarten through eighth grade, 10000 for high school, 
and 15000 if you require any kind of special education. That's not enough for private school. Like, to me, I read those dollar amounts and I'm just like, OK, chill. So this could help me if I want to pursue that option, but it won't actually cover the cost. It's getting you close to some of the uh, religious schools. Like yeah. a lot of the Catholic schools, Christian schools are going to be very close to that amount. Also, let's, you know, there's the whole issue of putting public money into private religious school. Right. And they're tax exempt already. So I guess anyway, that leaves our budget in limbo. Um, there were some other line items for education stuff, too. Yeah. So there was an increase in um, funding and K-12 education funding. It's uh, $567 million for that. Um, and then there were some you know, Democratic wins in the budget. So universal free school breakfast and then $100 million that would go toward boosting funding for the poorest school districts in the state. Um, that overall bucket of funding was less than the Democrats were pushing for, but was an increase from last year. Um, And I feel like we should probably say that when it comes to the school voucher program, this is not a perfect party line split either. I know sometimes we paint with kind of a broad brush like Republicans want this or Democrats want that. Um, But this issue is less cohesive than that. I think that's fair to say. Um, So as of this recording, we do not know what's going to happen with the budget. The House approved the budget with the voucher program in it. Um, The governor says that he would veto it later. So not to worry. Um, But now the Senate needs to to approve it with or without. Plus, there's some code bill issues that they're going to have to work out. Um, But yeah, the Senate, we don't know what's going to happen because our state calendars don't really allow for budgets being late like they are every year. So they don't have any scheduled days to meet right now. The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. Okay, everyone, we're deep into summer now. Um, So what is your least favorite part of summer? Humidity. (laughs) You're in Pennsylvania now. You're going to complain about humidity after living in the Mississippi Delta? Well, the thing is the stop in between in West Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I experienced the dry heat for long enough to realize, oh, my hair can look nice in the summer. (laughs) And so is that little interlude that I think has ruined uh, humid me for the humidity. I don't maybe maybe bugs, honestly, only because like the humidity doesn't offend me. I grew up with that. And I love the light like the sunlight makes up for an enormous number of sins. 
Yeah. So when you say bugs, are you talking mosquitoes? Usually mosquitoes, because mm-hmm. I am the kid that looks like Pigpen from Peanuts. Like, mosquitoes you just like me. You got that like sweet me. blood. They like me. I hate it. I hate them. They like me. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I get that. Uh, I think my new least favorite is the spotted lanternfly, but I have a silver lining on that one. You get to squash them, right? And like, you know, do your little dances. And I feel like I'm finally starting to be able to identify them by sight, you know, because they, cha- <laughs> they change shape and color uh, so much through the season. They're also so beautiful. It feels wrong beautiful. to squash them. But Maria, maybe you can remind us why it's important to squash them. Very important. <laughs> because they they are invasive and um, they like kill native trees and like some of the trees that like Pennsylvania depends on. Right. Some of our hardwoods and they can kill like grapevines and things like that. Um, and like the other thing is like these Spotted lanternflies, like in their full grown state, are beautiful, but then they have all these phases. Like, Megan sent me this beautiful, like, graphic the other day. Oh, it's so gorgeous. <laughs> A former Post Gazette um, visualization designer did it. She works for Axios now, but um, gosh, it's beautiful. It's layered paper and they made it digital. It's so good. Yeah, we'll put it, we'll put a link to that. But like, so, like, who can keep those phases straight? But basically, uh, you're not going to see those. Well, you might start seeing the full grown lanternflies real soon but like when they're just like babies they're like black with little like white spots on them and then they kind of get red with white spots and a little bit bigger and then like when they're in their full-blown beauty <laughs> like they're they've got those like gray wings with the black spots and you know those like red hind wings that like where they get the name of lanternfly hind like... wings is my new favorite word <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and they're in that juvenile stage like that middle section right now because i think i saw some over the weekend and they were black with white spots, but like a teeny speckling of red. Yeah. So if you see like little black bugs, lots of them with white dots, those are probably spotted lanternflies and you should smush them. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions on how to smush? Because they move much faster than I thought that they would. That's the hard part, right? Like, <laughs> is... They are really fast little buggers. Like you crickets can... on steroids. Yeah, like they, they'll yeah. come at your face before you realize what's happening. Which I mean, I guess it's fair. I'm, I'm slamming a shoe in their direction. Yeah. So I've got someone much smarter than me who's been working on this. Ooh. Right. Yeah. So uh, CMU, like it's been called a killer robot. Really, it's like. <laughs> We shouldn't call it a killer robot. It's an egg-scraping robot. Fun fact, apparently CMU has, like, a whole policy that they will never make a killer robot. Like, not, well, not, thank not just call it, but they will not do it. <laughs> like, that's, like, an ethical line they won't cross, even yeah. for bugs. So then how does this not qualify as a killer robot? It's really a gentle bug egg-scraping <laughs> robot. <laughs> that results in death. It's more, it's more fun for me to say killer Maria, robot. Maria's editorializing by calling it the killer robot. <laughs> yeah, that that is on me, not CMU. I all apologies to anyone involved with CMU. Uh, actually, I talked with their uh, a scientist there at Carnegie Mellon, um, who's Francisco Yandun. He's working on applying robotics in forestry and agriculture. And Megan, he has the same um, problems with you know, lanternflies as you do, he thinks the adult ones are really hard to catch and kill. If we develop a robot for killing lanternflies, it's not like really realistic because it's really hard. 
uh, for a robot to go and kill each one. And you can get rid of a lot of them in one egg mass because in an egg mass, you have a sack that has, I don't know how many, but a lot of them. So in an egg mass, you have this egg sack that has a lot of them, like 30, 40, 50 eggs all at once, and they're stuck on trees. So what this robot goes up and does is it spots them. It has some cameras there, and it's been programmed with some AI to identify them. It's been fed a bunch of images of these spotted lantern lanternfly egg sacks. It identifies them. Then it goes up, and it gently scrapes them off with a brush. I feel like this sounds more like a vacuum yeah. than anything. Is that right? Is that how it works? You've seen it. I haven't. Yeah. Help us visualize this. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not like, you know, a big walking around thing. It's more like a really awkward, large Roomba. <laughs> it's built on this platform, something called an Amiga micro, micro tractor. It's something already used in like agriculture stuff. And they've just added cameras, robotic arms and, you know, that have enabled it to do this. And this was part of a contest that students were involved in. And the big challenge was being able to get these spotted lanternfly egg masses off the trees without damaging them, right? Because you don't want to hurt the trees. Very cool. Yeah. So it's not, you know, I think my biggest fear outside of outer space is (laughs) if anyone's seen that episode of Black Mirror where the robo-dogs take over and... Like human existence is just trying to hide from getting killed from these robo dogs, which doesn't feel that far off to me because they are currently testing whether or not to deploy robo dogs to the border, which is horrific to think about. Wait, what? Yeah. I mean, I know at least last year the Department of Homeland Security was testing out whether or not it made sense to send these dogs uh, to the border for border surveillance, which is uh, truly just terrifying. Um, and so, Maria, when I first heard that there were these um, robot lanternfly killers, I was really spiraling out. But hearing you describe it, it actually sounds like an entirely different thing. Yeah. And we should say there's one. It's a prototype. And it's really more like a giant Robovac sort of thing. And it's like, it's large. It's five or six feet. You know, it's not, it's kind of awkward looking. It's slow moving. It's not something I think like you'd get, you might get an aggressive brushing out of it. <laughs> um, I, lo- I love how all robots start out as like, it's large. It's awkward looking. Like that could work for pretty much anything that gets a <laughs> development like that. But that it's interesting that there's one prototype because that was going to be my question was like, how scalable is this? Like, is this a true solution to this horrible problem? Sounds like no. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, at this point, it feels like the lanternfly is out of the bottle sort of thing. And like it is spreading faster than, you know, people can control. Um, I don't know that it's a solution. You could see something like this getting developed for like a vineyard or an orchard to protect oh, you're trees. Right. That could be really great. You know, or vines um and being used there, right, you know, but this isn't going to stop the spread of lantern flies at large, you know, but it could have a commercial use. Well this is your semi annual reminder that if you see any lantern flies, kill, kill, kill. <laughs> I feel like we keep talking about concerts in Pittsburgh, but um, here we are again. The city is in mourning. Beyonce's August 3rd show was canceled. Yeah, we just weren't ready for that jelly. Oh, no, Maria. (laughs) (laughs) I got one line. One. (laughs) 
yeah, if you missed it, Acrisure, I can't imagine you did. Acrisure released a statement on Wednesday saying that it was due to, quote, production logistics and scheduling issues, um, which was also cited in a couple of postponed dates elsewhere in the country. It's super sad. Um, have Have y'all ever been to a Beyonce concert? No, but I want to now. I've been seen so much. I was like, this seems amazing. I haven't been to Renaissance, but I went to her show the last time she was in Pittsburgh. It was fantastic, but I will also say a little sparsely attended. Like, Mm -hmm. I got a ticket same day for 30 bucks, and I was in the mid-bowl. Like, I never thought that that would have been possible. I checked on a lark. I could go. It was great. It was a phenomenal production, but also, like, not a lot of Pittsburgh was there. And that's kind of, you know, no one has done the deep investigative dive on this yet, but it's really been insinuated that the reason this show got canceled had to do with ticket sales. I mean, the official line was like logistics and scheduling. It makes me wonder if it's something about like, you know, just because like her shows are so intricate. Like the last one that came through here had this enormous cube that like folded and (laughs) unfolded and moved and like had all these projections on it. Like I can imagine that like it takes a a village, like an entire city basically of people to make those shows come alive. And maybe Acrisure couldn't handle it. Maybe they didn't have the personnel or the staff. Like there's just so many things that have to be perfect to make a show like that come off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, another thing I've seen a lot of people saying online is, you know, that it's also partly about the culture of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh being a very white city. And I like, hate of this, course, this is right. a place. Yeah. Like, of course, this is a place where Taylor Swift could sell out two nights and people lose their minds over Kenny Chesney. Um, but that ticket sales weren't the same for Beyonce. Um, I've also seen people talking about how like Pittsburgh, maybe more so than some other cities, people like wait till the last minute to get tickets. And there's always like a surge in ticket sales uh, toward toward the very end near the show date. Um, But yeah, I think people there's really been a sense of disappointment in um, people really looking forward to this show and feeling really disappointed in Pittsburgh for not showing up for Beyonce. I don't remember the last time there was a sellout show other than Taylor, like putting that aside, like anywhere, like Ed Sheeran's coming this weekend. Eric Church is coming to Star Lake or whatever they're calling it right now um, this weekend. (laughs) Neither of those are sold out either. Um, Yeah. It just doesn't seem like a thing we do that much. And like Taylor feels like sort of a weird anomaly because people were like, you know, flying all over the country to try to go to that show. Like, we don't even know how many people who saw her in Pittsburgh are actually from here or the surrounding communities, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I will say one of the things that I felt a little disappointed in Pittsburgh about was some of the commentary online that was a little, you know, A, here's, here's how I'm going to break it down. One, why do we have to pit two women against each other all the time? There was a lot of Taylor Swift versus Beyonce. And I know there's some historical context there going back to some Grammys and stuff. But like, oh, you know, right. like there's also like there's no reason that Taylor Swift selling out, you know, Acrisure. Like, why can't we just be happy for two people like and that they're both strong women, strong performers. Strong, you know, like if she chose to cancel it for business reasons, a lot of people are sad about that. Why do you need to be happy if she's not your cup of tea? You know, like it was a little gross and I don't think it showed Pittsburgh's best side all the time. I completely agree. And thank you, by the way, for looking at Twitter, because that's just I can't engage with it anymore. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, I'm just sad for all the people because it seemed like especially a lot of black women on Twitter were really looking forward to this Beyonce show and are really sad that they don't have this joy, like this moment that they were, you know, I think in some cases sounded like they planned their summer around. Yeah. And in a city that, as we've covered on the podcast before, is not always the easiest place to live as a black woman. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, Mayor Ed Ganey put out a statement, too, which I saw. I saw a lot of people criticizing a little bit because he, you know, was like, oh, we wanted to give Beyonce a day to honor her accomplishments. And they're like, sweet. Great. Can you answer our phone calls and also appoint some people to the empty commission seats? We'd appreciate that, too. <laughs> which both you know, are fair. Both can be true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if let's invite Beyonce to the podcast. She is welcome on CityCast Pittsburgh anytime. I think any city cast show would be more than happy yeah. to, to support Beyonce. I'm just going to throw it out there. If she wants to make it up, we're welcoming. And if, like me, you're going to her show in Philadelphia, just by a stroke of luck, uh, look for us there. Humble brag much? <laughs> yeah, just rub it in our faces, Megan. <laughs> Sorry. Um, on One more thing. Uh, a quick addendum to yesterday's mac and cheese roundup. Um, for the first time ever, the podcast squad unanimously agreed on a single restaurant being the best at something in the city. So, of course, today we say terrible news that Smoke Taqueria in Lawrenceville is for sale. It makes me wish I'd never tried their blue cheese mac and cheese because... I didn't need to know what I'd be missing out on, and now I am. I'm devastated. I've never gotten out of that restaurant for less than $100, and not because it's expensive, <laughs> because I can't stop and I order food to feed me for three straight days. Well, hopefully whoever buys it keeps it just all the same, right? I know. And yeah. Um, yeah. We saw the listing in the Pittsburgh Business Times. Um, it says it's a 45-seat restaurant that comes with a liquor license, an updated kitchen, a uh, square point-of-sale system, and a pit smoker for their barbecue. Um, so, yeah, I guess a forthcoming sale is all the more reason for everyone to please go experience that mac and cheese and the Burn-Ins taco and the UFO Or do you guys want to buy the chicken apple? Restaurant? I do not want a restaurant, but I want their food. <laughs> <laughs> so seriously, someone please go buy the spot and all their recipes so that we don't have to <laughs> lose this delicious asset in Lawrenceville. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. The show team this week includes Mallory Falk, Maria Carter, and Elizabeth Kama. Francesca DeBecco and Natalia Aldana wrote and edited the newsletter, and our music is by Benji. I'm your host, Megan Harris. We'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend, everyone. The wild thing in Missouri, they'd stop the clock. Wait, like liter like a physical clock? They'd liter like they would like stop the clock sometimes. They had to get the budget done by the deadline. And so they would be getting close and they'd stop the clock. <laughs> so they could get it done. I kinda wish we did that. Like that's yeah. the that's the, the kind pressure of, was on, right? Like, like <laughs> we used to have pressure. We just don't yeah. have pressure anymore.